0: Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps it all remembered that old saying, our Corrales. Corrales.
1: Hello, and welcome to Second Lobster Slog, episode 31. I'm your host, M, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. Star Trek time.
2: It's Star Trek time. I've missed Star Trek time.
1: Uh, You know, so have I, honestly. Um. Hmm. So we're just going to get right into it because it's kind of later in the day than we usually record. We already recorded one of these. So today we are watching two DS9 episodes. We are watching Battle Lines from season one and The Muse from season four. Four, right? Yes. Um, you can look up on the website, star Podcast.space, what episodes specifically those are. Just go to Netflix and look around. They're easy to find. There's only 26 a season. Uh, we are reading <laughs> uh, Rising Sun by S.D. Perry from the DS9 relaunch of books. Next month we are going to uh, TNG again as we watch Redemption Parts 1 and 2, which is the Season 4 finale and the Season 5 uh, premiere. Uh, we are also reading uh the left hand of destiny by jg Hertzler and jeffrey lang the last hand
2: of destiny book one book
1: one yes uh this is about what goes on with wharf after ds9 so i'm very excited to read that shit
2: yeah just who's been absent oh all the klingon shit we'll deal with that now yep there's a
1: two part series jg Hertzler co-wrote these books they have to be amazing (laughs) it's the law yeah um so that's what we're doing. We're just going to get right into it cuz we got uh a lot to talk about. So, hit the music and we'll be back with DS9 episodes. Battle Lines is our first episode today. It is DS9, Season 1, Episode 13. It aired the 25th of April, 1993. Were you alive for this, Jackson? Nope. Okay. <sighs> How
2: you feeling about that?
1: Tired. Uh, Teleplays <laughs> by Richard Dennis and Evan Carlos Summers. Story by Hillary J. Bader. Directed by Paul Lynch. It takes place in the 20 year 2369. Uh, nice. In this episode, uh, the Kai is visiting uh, DS9, unannounced, Kai Apaka shows up and everyone's like, oh god, the Kai, what are we supposed to do about any of this? And uh, the Kai is like, I would like to see the wormhole and they show her the wormhole at the window, but nothing's going on. So Cisco's like, what if we just take a runabout and go through the wormhole? It's easy. No big deal. Uh, so they do that. They go through the wormhole. Kyle is amazed. And then she's like, let's keep going. And they're like, well, we're not sure about that, but they do anyway. And they go towards a planet called gosh, what is that called? It is system. What is the name of that system? Why is memory alpha so terrible? I'm looking at the thing thinking, oh
2: yeah, they do go, they go towards a specific system and th- it doesn't, this Memory off article does not have the name of the fucking system that they go to in this summary. Is it down yeah. the bottom?
1: Uh, yeah, there's like 7,000 things. I thought it started with an oh. I. Idrin system.
2: Idrin system, there you yes. go. That should have been in the summary because the summary is really long and nothing yeah. much happens this episode. Idrin's not a system, it's a man. Damn it. <laughs>
1: anyway, they go to the engine system. There's a planet there. Uh, they has artificial satellites. They start scanning it for life forms. And then the satellites shoot the uh, runabout out of the sky. It crash lands. And the Kai is dead. They're exploring this planet. They're like, what the hell happened? And they're, they run across this group of humanoids called the Ennis. And uh, they are in the middle of a war with a group called the Nolanness. And it seems like a very violent, like uh, sectarian conflict going on because they're on a penal colony. And all they do is fight there. They've been at war for generations. They don't even know why they're fighting anymore. Stop Uh,
2: me if you've heard this before.
1: Well, so there's a big, there's a big fight and Starfleet's like, Oh God, what do we do? What do we do? And then as the fight is happening and people are dying around them, uh, someone walks in and it's Kaiopaka back alive again. Uh, yes. Bashir is trying to figure out what happens uh, They need to like organize a ceasefire So you can get to the runabout and run some tests And it turns out nanomachines Which Star Trek calls nanites But I will not ever not call nanomachines Because of Metal Gear Solid, thank you very much Um apparently when they put everyone on this prison planet, they fill their blood full of nanomachines, which will repair them if they die and bring them back to life. Uh, This is a problem specifically because uh, they are constantly at war. And when the nanomachines bring them back to life, they need the nanomachines to live. So if they left the planet, even if they could with the satellites there, uh, they would die. This is a big problem specifically for Kaiopaka. Who is now basically stranded on this planet? And if, uh, Bashir, uh, if uh, Bashir or Cisco die, or Kira, or whatever, they are trapped here forever. Meanwhile, Abra-
2: like we we need stakes in this episode.
1: Yes. Meanwhile, O'Brien and Dax go in and try to find. They go through the wormhole to try to find where they went, and they do. And then they find the weapons platform, and they're like, oh, that's dangerous, and they avoid it, and then they contact <laughs> everyone, and they beam everybody up except Kyle Paco, who's like, I'm going to stay here and negotiate a peace. I will make it work. Someday, I will see you again. And Cisco's like, I will come back for you, which is a lie, because this is Star Trek, and we know this by now. <laughs> and we reach the end.
2: Thomas Riker.
1: <laughs> he came back. No, no, he didn't. Uh, he came back after the what episode? I mean that the second episode ends with Kara being like, "I will come back for you." Oh, sure, but the first episode ends with like, "Oh, what, Who could who could say what will happen to Tom Riker?" And you're like, "Nothing. It's Star Trek. He'll never be seen again." And that was not technically true.
2: It was not, t- but they did end that episode with Kara being like, "I promise, I'll return for you," yeah. and she extremely didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, extremely did not.
2: Too busy hooking up with Odo or whatever.
1: Do you think Tom Riker died in like a Cardassian prison camp, or do you think he's in books? He's definitely he's in books, he's right?
2: in books, but he's not in as many books as I thought. I've like gone down his credit list. He's in books, but not okay. he's not like a main character in any of the post Nemesis stuff. Okay, There are books about whatever happened next. Yeah,
1: I mean the the answer is once you go into the Maquis, you become far less interesting because the Maquis are boring.
2: <laughs> it's because they're right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. It's hard to deal with a group that's like right but ineffectual and mostly wiped off face of the earth by this point. So
2: yep. yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, this is this episode. Apparently, they had the idea of battle lines, like the plot like idea of someone goes to a planet and they're kept alive through nanomachines before they even wrote Emissary. Uh, and they didn't quite know who it was going to be that was left on the planet. They're like, Do we need to, are we going to make a new character to kill off? And then they're like, What if we just got rid of Kai Opaka? Which they did, uh, which is a great serendipity because then they had to replace the Kai and lucked out entirely. Uh, Uh, yeah they sure did (laughs) also this episode is apparently based on day of the dove which is hilarious because that movie that's one of the best episodes and this episode is bad so correct uh that's what i've got for trivia and interesting stuff uh, Jackson, how do you feel about this episode? It fucking sucks. <laughs> this episode's uh, terrible. It's
2: it's atrocious. Ooh, season one DS nine is rough.
1: I mean, there are better episodes than this in season one. Most of them, but in it, fact.
2: But it does the very DS season one DS nine thing, where the best part of the episode is the pre title sequence, where it's just characters interacting, and then the plot happens. Oh, where it, like, it's
1: where it's. Uh, O'Brien and Cisco and Dax talking about uh, personnel files they got from the Cardassian computer yes! about who Kira is like let's not tell Kira and Kira walks in and is like don't tell Kira what and then discovers <coughs> that they think of her as an, a minor threat and she was very upset about it.
2: Well she's like I'm a big girl I can take it and they all walk out the office in a very uh, like the we know exactly what's going to happen way and then like 10 seconds later she walks out being like a minor threat yep. and Cisco turns around and goes would you like to meet the Kai? <laughs> 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 She's met the kai. Yep. Uh it's well yes but like re- greet the kai I guess it's yes. better. But it it's a, it's a nice little character bit because they had a handle on like the characters pretty early but then they just come in with the worst most boring stock star trek plots like these two sides hate each other because of a war that they don't even remember.
1: Also, as much as Emissary is like a pretty good ground for what the Bejaro stuff eventually becomes, this episode, everyone's just like, oh, the Kai. Yeah, it's Kai. And Kira calls her Opaka at one point. I'm like, this is all bad and wrong. Also, she basically sucks. She just runs around like, I'm going to help people, but not in any concrete way. I'm going to hand O'Brien an earring. It's bad. All of Kai Opaka's stuff is bad. The actress is not great. She's given nothing to work with.
2: Yep. Uh And getting rid of her is the right choice because it, like, makes, it forces the Bajoran religion stuff to become much more interesting much more quickly. Yes. Um, but this episode, like, it just, it just feels completely unearned. She just goes to this random planet and leaves for, a fucking Mike from Breaking Bad.
1: Um. Tasha Otasha Yar. (laughs)
2: yeah it it just feels like that yeah as and all the stuff on the planet is just completely meaningless as just because like i can try to do a ceasefire and then they're like no we are too committed to our war against each other to finally to ever think of peace uh and they do it in like the most star trek hammy ways of someone being like I would never let a en, trust an Ennis with my life or whatever, and the, the other one says like, no more than I would trust a null. And they like, yes, thank you. Looks to the camera. Conflict is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's just bad. Oh,
1: yeah bad episode i don't know what to say there's a lot of big not acting it. in star trek early on in ds9 everyone is like shouting their feelings to the screen kira's like how i thought i was over war but it's in my blood i can never be not a soldier and kyle park is like that is your path to figure that out for yourself and almost as if you're a main character on a television show and kira's like oh there's something to
2: reflect about in the intervening seven years it literally reads as if someone has read which is probably what happened. Read her character bio that has been handed around in the Bible and then turned that into the final monologue of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you. Yes, I am aware. Kira has lived in war uh, and is struggling to, like, imagine a world without it because she, that is all she has known. Like, yes, every other episode established as better without telling me. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same because, like, it doesn't have any of the, like, you know, hallmarks of enjoyable bad Star Trek. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not ridiculous. No, not at all. Triton, doll
1: Also, the like idrin planet is just like a bunch of rocks and then like flaming yard decorations or whatever. And the main guy they interface with just has like he's just like scars and a really bad like undercut rocker look. He just looks like someone's tired dad in a metal band.
2: Yep, that's the that's the guy from Breaking Bad.
1: Okay, well he sucks.
2: I I mean yes, he's good he's good in the show, but yes, he's bad in this. No, I, I
1: believe that, but he sucks in this.
2: Yeah. Bad it's re- it's really weird. Like it's one of the weirdest like cannot unsee that guest stars in Star Trek. I think the weirdest cannot unsee that guest star in Star Trek is when Odo shows up in Enterprise. Um
1: there are around, there are dude. weirder ones for me, but it it entirely depends on what you've uh what you've seen before you come into star trek
2: i bet going back to a lot of episodes especially tng stuff there'll be stuff that hits like this
1: watching star trek with destiny who knows a lot about uh television of the era was amazing because she would just spot everybody
2: <laughs> good that's good yes so. so that's battle lines
1: that's battle lines short sweet to the point because it's fucking terrible speaking of terrible episodes jackson
2: <laughs> oh speaking of terrible episodes we next have the muse which is season four episode 21 first aired 29th of april 1996 i was long alive by this point um you were teleplay- a toddler <laughs> yes. I, was, I was born in 93 uh, teleplay by Renee Achevara or Eche- uh, story by Renee Achevaria and Miguel Barrett Roddenberry, um, directed by David Livingston. It is set in 2372. Um, and what happens in this episode is Jake Sisko is being the most annoying person on. Well, spa- I was going to say on planet Earth, but in space, I guess, as he stands on the promenade, watching people like depart the shuttles and coming up with characters for his stories.
1: Jackson, you graduated university with a degree in writing.
2: Tell me, <laughs> is this what people do to generate character ideas? Uh, this is what really, really bad lecturers want you to do to generate character ideas. Yeah,
1: no, that's for sure. I've heard some of your lectures <laughs> <He discuss>.
2: yeah <laughs> we've heard some stories jake
1: Cisco is doomed to become an academic absolutely are you kidding me oh 100 ab- 100 anyway this episode
2: but who cares about that because i um, cut to uh odo in his office um who uh ha- has he walks into his office and sees none other but luxana Tor- troy who is back and is crying because she is pregnant uh, she explains um that uh, her husband a tivanian who's called jael uh wants to steal her baby because her baby is a male child and on uh Tamanian and children are raised by the parent that is the same sex as the child uh, and never to be seen until the other parent and until they reach the age of 16 just extreme gender separation uh and laxwana's like no obviously not this is my kid we agreed before we got married that would be fine but now that like we're married he thinks that he has the right to take my life so i'm running away from this asshole uh and then Odo's like, uh, okay, that's good, but what do you want me to do about it? Um so that stuff's all well and good then we cut back to jake who is working on a story and uh, an alien woman who he see who who he had seen from the airlock earlier comes and sits next to him and is like i'm an i'm an i love artists you're such a good artist i i used to know this famous cardassian artist and i've made him i like unlocked his brain i could teach you how the techniques how to become like the perfect artist and jake's like that sounds not sinister at all i'll come to your quarters later um later before that jake's like i can't go with you on your three-day trip or whatever out of this episode i have to have a plot to ben's like yeah to ben uh to ben cisco uh and benjamin Cisco's like hey we had this plan are we gonna do this and he's like no i'm working on this story but being very shady about it yes Uh, so cisco leaves because if the he was here this episode wouldn't have a plot um meanwhile uh what is right right god this scene uh meanwhile luxwana and uh odo are like getting to know each other again after because important backstory is there was an episode a few seasons ago where luxwana basically fell in love with odo and odo was like no even though you are cool and luxwana had to leave yes um and then they're like reconnecting in this episode uh, and like Luxwana goes uh, goes back to Odo's quarters uh, and finds it very sweet and then like falls asleep and Odo like turns his arms into a blanket and the other into a pillow and lets like her, sl- her sleep on top of him. It's very cute. Uh, meanwhile Jake goes to Anaya and is trying to write and she's like oh you need to write with a pencil it'll be fine. And she like massages his neck and he's like oh I don't know how to do this but The more she, like, touches him, the more he just starts writing the stream of consciousness. Um, Do, 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 scrolling down the summary because I watched the episode days ago. Uh, Right, then um, Luxwana's husband shows up and is like, I have a claim to this. I have a claim to my child. And uh, Odo's like, Luxwana, you know you don't. Goodbye. Um, But uh, then Odo comes up with a plan as the loophole in the law is that the, the male child is the property of the mother's husband, not the child's father. So they can annul this this legal arrangement, they can rules lawyer themselves out of misogyny uh, if Odo marries Luxwana in a legal Tivonian ceremony, which just happens to require uh, Odo to convince the entire audience present that he really is sincere about this marriage. He cannot fake this proposal. Uh, he has to stand there and convince JL uh, that that they are really in love. Uh, and he gives this great speech. It's like, Luxwana was the first person who like saw me for me when everyone else saw me as an outsider. It was the first day that I stopped being alone. And they win, and then they are now married. And the Jao accepts this and is like, damn, I've been owned by the law. And Luxwana is free to have her child. Um, the jackpot then continues going on forever as Anaya, like uh like keeps draining all the energy out of him as he's doing this writing and he's like no i must i must continue and she's like you must take a rest for a while uh and eventually he just collapses and is taken to the um infirmary uh because it, and like his brain is like wired up and cisco returns and he's like hey whoa, well, what's going on and, and, and uh, he's like basically on the verge of a synaptic collapse at which point uh the like nurse is knocked out and anaya steals him again so cisco runs through the station finds jake uh and then like puts a up to anaya who's like i am a just a entity who will always steal the potential of artists forever and turns into dust and flies out of ds9 because that was the ending of this plot it's fucking terrible uh but then the odo stuff is good because they go back to uh odo's office and odo has settled into luxwana being around now um and luxwana's like i must leave i must go back to beta said because although you like having me around you don't actually love me and i still love you and it wouldn't be fair to actually stick around uh and they both leave jokingly being like goodbye husband goodbye wife uh and that is the end of the episode and well there's another scene where Cisco's like you are not the true art she was not the true artist making you write this genius stuff it was within you jake you can be the good writer again and then that is actually the end of the episode okay it's bad
1: uh so the interesting thing here is that uh the Anaya stuff is supposedly supposed to be the A-plot, but it clearly is not, and it barely like they basically forget that it is
2: a thing for half the episode as Odo and Luxana have a good episode happening. <laughs> it's incredible how like the uh stuff with Anaya and Jake feels like it's been written by someone who doesn't understand how humans like interact on a fundamental level. Uh and then all the stuff with uh luxana and Odo is like really nuanced and sad and
1: good yep you also get ridiculous Luxana scenes like her making everyone in Quark's bar depressed by telling her story them stories about her life and that time that she had a daughter who died well before Deanna was <laughs> born
2: <laughs> yep and then like everyone is sitting around like I'm so depressed and their like holiday clothes yes <laughs> uh, oh it's a really good scene yep that stuff's great this is the last time we
1: see Luxana apparently like I guess she has a kid Deanna has a baby brother doesn't come up yeah. as far as I know ever again but well those are they gonna do? Mention it in the movies I don't know I
2: we,
1: I, I want to read the Battle of Beta Z find out what Lux, uh, Loxana's is doing with her young child oh no, but that war. book's apparently terrible well we'll read it someday don't worry
2: uh, I'm hoping the TNG like uh de- um, what the, like a time to books mm-hmm. get into this. they will they'll get into this that's on the list of things to address you would hope well, it's more important than Wesley because I like Luxwana more.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, come on. That's a no-brainer.
2: No-brainer. Yeah, Luxwana's really good. Yeah. Uh,
1: Odo getting married is really good. Uh, the part where he is, like, actually super into her and she's like, you don't love me, but in a way you don't understand and just leaves is very sweet. Those two are good. I wish there were more episodes about them. It's maybe the best stuff Odo has in all of DS Nine. Honestly,
2: you know what? It's up there. It's really up there. It's better than any of the Kira stuff.
1: I am an avowed Odo disliker because I don't think the changelingers are interesting. Um, and this stuff is when Odo is good because it has nothing to do with Changeling shit. It has nothing to do with oh, I need to link up with the female Changeling and Kira's weird about it and I'm weird about it and it's a mess
2: and bullshit. yeah, no, it's just him being like, I'm kind of an outsider, but we don't, like, it's just good, it's just nice relationship stuff. It's good uh, Star Trek. Uh,
1: so Jake Sisko's never used paper before, but immediately knows how to use a pen and write letters,
2: which I think is weird. Um, does he say he's never used it before, that he's never, like, written on paper? No, he says Cause he's cause never
1: I... used paper before.
2: Okay, in my head I'm like, oh, he just means never used it to write a novel, but has obviously used paper before at some point in his life. I, I don't know why that mean, would whatever. I don't know
1: why that would be the assumption given that nobody uses paper in Star Trek.
2: Right. God.
1: Yeah. But he knows God. how apparently. Apparently so. Oh. I who taught him who taught him penmanship and why if nobody uses paper? And, and who knows? did they they have him use a pen on like one of those pads until he learned how to write his letters and they're like you know how to do this now when you'll never use it again. <laughs> the the the
2: pen on pad the, like pull it slowly pushing a pen along a pad is one of the most dated parts of, of Star Trek. Star Trek yes, conveys, it's like, very technology.
1: Sl- <laughs> you know, it just looks like he's highlighting things at all times. <laughs>
2: because they haven't, like, any that they do that, they've always, it's like a static, like, sheet of plastic yes. over light. Like, that's just the, what the effect is. It's a very good economic effect. When someone's supposed to be writing on a pad, it's just hilariously, they do not expect anyone to be watching it in this high detail ever.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so- so, yeah, Jake falls prey to an art vampire. Uh, I can't tell if this is mostly stupid because of an art vampire or mostly stupid because of the way it plays as, like, Ben being very concerned that his son is being, like, sex-predatored by an old lady.
2: Um, it's terrible on all levels. It's terrible yeah, but which, the one's, which
1: one's worse?
2: Um, uh, the art vampire stuff.
1: I think I'd go the other way.
2: It's cool. Ben's not really in the episode. That's true.
1: But he when he runs into them, he's like, oh, what have you done to my son? In a more accusatory way than Art Vampire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's true. I mean, she is like like touching his neck and awakening his like energy. Yes. Which but luckily, Jake Sisko doesn't know what sex is. So we're all good. Everything's fine. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's nothing to do with that.
1: Uh, um, I mean, he does either before or after this get a Bajoran girlfriend who is much older than him. But not this much older, because <laughs> no. it's a plot point.
2: That is a plot point. I've, I, that was mentioned in the book, and I'm like, I don't remember that, but I believe yeah. it happened. That seems like a thing Jake would do. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. This this all this all is very bad. He he almost dies. There's that thing where he collapses in the replimat. That's very dumb.
2: It's one of those episodes that, like, if this concept had been a TNG episode, it might be fun. But. Uh, Like, Jake Sisko doesn't I mean, it
1: was a TNG episode. It was fun. It was when Beverly Crusher fucked a ghost.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is very true. Yeah, it's just this. That is incredibly
1: true. Way better. Um, Way better than this.
2: Much better than this. But, uh, like, Jake Sisko does not have the acting ability to pull off the, like, to make this fun. So this incredibly stupid concept that, like, would, should uh, rank yeah. with Beverly Crusher fucks a ghost can't actually have the, like, energy uh, and fun of like, actual bad Star Trek. It just, is, it just is dull and drags the episode down.
1: Yeah. Uh, the actors who plays Anar, Anaya Meg Foster is, like, trying to make that episode work, but Jake's not there
2: for it. Absolutely not.
1: You know, uh also hilarious, this is the second and last time we ever hear about anselm Jake's novel that he writes in The Visitor, and it plays the fucking visitor music at the end of this episode. I mean, yeah. I He's want the version of Analyst. DS9 before they realize what they were doing where this is actually about like everything coming back around to the visitor and Jake writing this novel that like spans time and like for some reason that novel is also part of nonlinear time in a way that this show seems to almost
2: imply. Well, oh, yeah, because, like, you know, in in the past, uh, what's his name? Russell? Benny, Benny Russell? Uh, Benny Russell, yeah. Benny Russell. Because Benny Russell in the past is also, like, writing DS9 as a novel, and it's doing that. So, yes, they totally could have linked those two concepts and gone in that direction if they wanted to.
1: If this show had been made, like, four years later, that's absolutely where the show would have gone.
2: Yeah, but not if it was made a decade later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. No, absolutely not.
2: Oh. <laughs> absolutely not.
1: But yeah, no, I don't know. The, the, I forgot about the Anselm thing and lost my mind that they played that sad-ass visitor theme and tried to make this poignant, and no, not here. Not with this. Fuck off.
2: Uh, I've just scrolled down to the bit of the memory alphabet where they talk about the way they played that, I've switched to your side. This Ronald D. Moore quote is too much. Would What is it? What is it? the notion of this exotic beautiful older woman who comes up to you and gets excited by watching you write is like the most ridiculous idea only a writer would come up with that think of it you're sitting there writing and she's just in chance we watched that scene in dailies and thought are we insane what are we doing how did we get here
1: <laughs> <laughs> i also while watching this thought how did we get here
2: because <laughs> i totally thought like her talking about like writing is just like yes it is the true art i'm like it's not it's just putting words on paper like come on <laughs>
1: uh, the, this, totally this is, is about, absolutely like, written by people who wish they were novelists and don't understand how that works
2: <laughs> yeah uh so i'm glad ronald d moore could just like was like experiencing the weirdness of that in the moment and being like what the fuck has happened <laughs> yeah imagine being horny for writers
1: oh absolutely not never, never. not never.
2: not even once <laughs> not even once that's the that's the rule well those are the two episodes um, yeah it's a light one. i expected at least one of them to be funny but no just just called kind a of bad episode the, the all the um Uh, Luxwana stuff is great, because Luxwana is great. Yeah. So,
1: Next time, we are watching Redemptions Part 1 and 2 of TNG. Yes, we are. Uh, We'll uh, we'll probably have a lot more to say about that, because that's maybe one of the most fundamental lore-building episodes of Star Trek ever made, so. I guess it's shit. Does it all (laughs) come from...
2: I watched TNG in a blur, but yeah. like Gowron's already
1: Chancellor, but yeah, it's all about like the dura shit uh, coming to home to roost and yeah, But
2: like it's the first time they go there. Like cuz yeah. that's where that set comes from.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, man, the klingons. God they're good. Yeah. They should be terrible. <laughs>
1: they're not. They're great. They're not. They
2: lucked into it. Anyway,
1: right. uh after some music we'll be back with this goddamn book. We're here this month to talk about Rising Sun. This is written by SD Perry uh it was released january 2003 it takes place in the year 2376 uh jackson where were we in ds9 when (laughs) rising sun begins
2: when rising sun begins uh it was three months since uh the ending of deep space nine and in that time uh things have quieted down um but jake cisco Uh, has in the ruins of baalhalla found a prophecy that says he must enter the celestial temple return uh like return with a herald and uh bring um bring about like the birth of the avatar uh, when he returns uh so he goes into the wormhole um while stuff stuff in ds9 is going on like there's a huge uh battle that's about to happen because the there's a um jem hadar loose on the station yeah no you can listen to all of our other episodes none of that matters but absolutely none of that matters it literally basically picking up from the start because uh jake Sisko leaves the plot to be in this book immediately yep um so he goes into the wormhole thinking he is going to find uh his dad and that is where we begin rising sun um and after a a while of like sitting in the um sitting in the wormhole uh his ship is like thrown about in a storm um and he finds himself somewhere in the gamma Quadrant as uh the like ship is um just just running out of energy and power and he's basically dead and uh he's recording his final words uh into his journal and being like oh god i'm sorry everyone i've fucked up i'm dying now uh, but he is rescued by uh firefly um He's rescued by a ship called the Even Odds. Uh, I guess it's just Even Odds, which is uh led by a guy named Des. Well not a guy, uh wait, is he a guy? I thought Dez was also a Wadi. No, Des
1: is just a dude.
2: Is Des just a dude? Okay, I thought they were both Wadi. Anyway.
1: No, there's another like half Wadi on the ship, but it's not Des.
2: I imagine the two of them as both Wadi. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That's just me. Alright, messed up on that. Anyway, Des just a dude. Let me uh, look it up.
1: Let me look it up. Uh he is a Jefflinick. What is that? Same. same they're just a humanoid honestly. race with grey skin and pale colored eyes. I they're only in like two books, so uh same.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, well uh the Captain Dez takes a liking to Jake. There's also on board uh is like the first officer, uh Facity, who is extremely hot. She's a Wadi. Uh, is-
1: she is one of the gambling obsessed race that played uh
2: what I don't remember the name of the game. Move along in home.
1: Move along home, yes.
2: Yep, move along home. Uh, is Piff, who's basically a dog. Yes. Uh, uh, there's Glesson, who is a Cardassian. Yes, um, a survivor
1: of the Cardassian uh, Romulan. Romulan fleet invasion of the
2: Dominion that went really badly. The lone survivor. It did not go well for them. Yep. Two
1: random Ferengi.
2: <laughs> two random Ferengi. Uh, a giant, l- a, a giant lady named Brad. <laughs> yep uh yes giant lady named brad a like artificial intelligence named sral who can like interface with any technology yeah it's just
1: like a liquid techno sentience which is yep. a crazy thing to put in star trek honestly
2: the phrase just your standard android is used and i'm going mm, not not allowed actually you yep. <laughs> know we have precedent for what that means in this universe yeah um but the idea that you could just go to the gamma quadrant and they have very different meanings for all that stuff is is I, I accept that. And Stessy, who is actually five like separate beings that form a single entity. Uh and their names are not listed here, but like right, uh, so, the one that the, talks so Stess. The
1: full being is Aris Lele, Lele Machin Stess, which is Aris Le Lema, Kin and Stess. And they're all yeah. like fungoid, like they're basically like a collective of like mushroom people. <laughs>
2: Yep, it's a weird collective of mushroom people. Uh and Jake lands uh in this um Oh, uh, it is rescued by this crew and they take him in and they're like, You shouldn't be taking people in, Des. Remember what happened the last time? Uh but because it's Jake Sisko and he's the least threatening person on earth, nothing comes of that because he's not gonna betray them. And they but let him in the Also,
1: <laughs> the last time they brought
2: someone onto their crew, it was fucking Vosh. Yes, so they say this is like Vash, and I waited the whole book for him to bring up. Oh, I know Vash. <laughs> no, um, he never comes it, up. It's just left on the table. They never bring it up again. That is really weird. I know. Um, and uh, they bring uh, Jake in for their big job, which is to hit. Uh, where what, what is it going to? It doesn't have it in the summary. It doesn't have the planet. Or it's like it doesn't Drang? matter.
1: Just a planet.
2: It's a planet uh that is uh entirely um like the home of a large uh like lizard people who are very violent and have been stealing a lot of stuff because if they have the most stuff they will survive the war uh is their idea and they're going to go into the vaults and they're going to get this um artifact back for another people that need it to like heal their culture because it was stolen from them they go they do the mission the mission goes wrong um but then they save the day and jake's like yes maybe i can be a member of the crew of firefly uh and, well, Star Trek Firefly, I guess. Uh, and then they all come back, and Jake now, like, fits in with the crew and everything. Everyone's happy. And then uh, on their way to a, uh, a planet called E, uh, it's E, E, I don't know how to, I'm to call it E. Sure. Uh, on their way to a planet called E, they are taking stops on other worlds. Uh, and um, Stessie uh, just, st- well, two parts of Stessie step on, like, a mine and are immediately killed uh and everyone retreats off the mission goes back to the even odds uh and stacy dies because you catch she couldn't like hold together without the hole and just like slowly dies over the course of two days yeah um and then like this kind of like tra- trauma only brings jake closer to the crew and he decides as he gets to e that he is not going to leave the even odds he's going to stay he's going to go back to ds9 and explain that he's not dead but then he will return to his new life uh on the even hawk, um,
0: <laughs> no, no one knows what that is, Jackson. <laughs> you do, yes.
2: Uh, on the even odds, uh, as a fortune hunter is what they call it. Yes. Uh, but while he's on E, uh, he runs into a tusk, a fucking Tosk! Remember the tusk? I do remember the Tosk. Remember the tusk? Uh, Would which, you like to tell people who the Tosk are? <laughs> <laughs> Uh the task are these like uh extreme like lizard prosthetic creatures who are hunted by uh a race known only as the hunters they've been created to be hunted and then like we enjoy the hunt our destiny is to be hunted we know we will be killed one day but we will provide the best hunt possible and and we will run uh and everyone's like oh is it real is it okay to be a hunter if you want to be hunted and everyone has a big ethical dilemma about that uh and no one cares because it's a season one premise of an episode in ds9 um but now we're in the gamma quadrant we have to deal with that again so yep. there's a Tosk who has found something and it's like something other than the hunt and it, uh, it scares him uh, because he doesn't know what that, uh, like how, like he, be- he doesn't have the intellectual like, concept of what it could be to know something outside the hunt. So he's very scared and confused by this. Mm-hmm. um they are also they also go with this uh this girl named wex who's a Trellian, uh and they find the person they're looking for who is kai apaka a healer on e who explains that uh on the moon um she had been helping the ennis and Null ennis eventually uh like start to reconcile um she thought it was never going to be possible um which was the day that she like and went into that vision with cisco when that other guy tried to be it was like i'm the emissary actually Mm -hmm. uh but then the next day the first peace talks began and she knew that was a sign from the prophets that she wasn't needed back on beijor after all and everything would be fine there and she could continue her duty um and eventually someone someone crashed on the moon uh called rake Uh, that is r-a-i-q uh who is i am an ascendant Uh, i am looking for the fortress of ancient gods and she's like oh okay that sounds weird uh but i will i have now learned in my years to be more respectful of others faiths and this ascendant is like i am super powerful i will free you of uh of the um of the weird satellite network, uh, you will all be able to die, but you will now be able to have children. So the Ennis and not Ennis can form a true society called the Sen Ennis. Uh, and now these this uh this moon is healed leaves and ends up on e uh where she is found by jake Sisko, and they all know that they are to return to deep space nine for that is what the prophecy says so they get on the uh on the even odds um to head to the planet that the tusk was on because he like touched a thing that's uh like a weird orb that made him need to do this and they're like that's clearly a clue of some kind it's going to be uh like a jewel of an ancient culture we could we could get one it's from the evoc the e-a-v Aposhvi oq um and we we can we can go find them and find something very valuable there uh he does not tell jake this because jake's busy having a crisis about that the morality of fortune hunting uh and they they go there and they do that and uh, tusk dies randomly gets hunted in the middle of all this <laughs> Literally, the, the like the story is building up to this big reveal of what's on this planet, and then they're like hunters, and he dies, and then they continue on uh yes now literally
1: the plot stops as hunters land shoot tosk in the leg and then cro- like stand up for him and like smoke him and they're like uh thank Walk you out. for observing the hunt to everyone else and fly off
2: again it's kind of amazing <laughs> it might be one of my favorite parts of this book because the chapter of in there like he's like reading the writing on the wall being like there's something was living here after all we must see the secret of this world And then they say, Hunters, and it's like, oh, no, there's going to be a battle in this. There's going to be, like, stakes at the end of this book. And no, they just immediately kill him and go, thanks for that, and walk out. You know? That's one of the funniest things. Um, uh, But then they activate, like, what is going on on Evok. And they, like, manage to essentially... How do I summarize this quickly? Like, turn it on, but by turning it on, they shift the entire state of the universe and move a star system to a new place. Yes, and what they
1: turn um, on is the civilization that lived there is now yeah, back, because they were actually uh, just, they removed themselves from time because they were afraid of a thing that was coming to murder them.
2: Yep, they were afraid of uh, the heat and the dark. <laughs> 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 um, and uh yeah so they like re they literally invent a star system and rearrange space with the click of a button because that is how powerful and like godly this technology is uh and uh apaka realizes that the evok uh like are connected to the prophet they are like near to the wormhole on this side of the galaxy uh they have they like have a completely different interpretation of like what their religion is and it doesn't look anything like bajor but th- these are uh, like this, they are drawing from the same source, and this means something, and this is a really exciting time for Bejor. And puts it together that um, the Ascendant uh, who set her free is like e- either the like the race that the evoke are scared of or at least connected to no uh, she's she's,
1: she literally says oh that must be the ascendants they are clearly like i couldn't tell if rake is
2: like actually an ascendant or like just an an ascendant adherent because she's just a person at that point i can't tell no
1: the ascendants are just like they believe in the prophets but as like a weird like death cult basically where they're going to purge all Uh, wrong believers like you can believe in different gods but if you believe in their version of the celestial temple wrong they are going to purge you from the galaxy
2: yeah because they're like they they call them like the eyes of fire when the the tears the the tears of the prophet which are the orbs yeah uh and like they're so it's basically all these factions with uh differing interpretations of the um of what the prophets mean and apaka finds it like a twist of fate that the one who freed her to uh see the evok was like the the enemy of like our religions and stuff and where will this go in the future only infinite books will tell yep um but then uh with this revealed the Evenods uh like leave because the uh he like uh, jake goes to talk to des Right, Jake's in this book. <laughs> this book's <Yes>. about Jake. <laughs> He's nominally the main character. Um, Doesn't Jake talk? And does, like, we will never see eye to eye. Uh, I, like, see you and me, but you are too much of a Federation brats, and you're too uncomfortable with the life of a fortune hunter. And I would be, we would be lying to ourselves if we actually stayed together. So they let them go. Uh, and they'd sadly part as the even odds, like, take a few trinkets from the Evoch without telling. And Jake's like, hmm. That's bad of you. That's very bad. Uh, And off they go. As they pile into a ship, uh, Jake Wex and Opaka... Wex doesn't do anything in this book, but is here to be in the future books uh, to uh, head back to the Alpha Quadrant but before they can do that they uh the ship explodes and they are rescued if you will remember from the last time by um, Yep. and they have a fantastic scene with Weyoun as he's like oh it's me I'm uh, And Jeff I was great. happy to see him so I would no I that was not that was sincere
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: could feel the spirit of Jeffrey Coombs on the page it was great um and they beam uh Apaka, Jake, and Wex over to the Defiant, and that is where we reach the end. Yep. Yeah.
1: All the timelines are lined up now.
2: Well we can continue forward. Tokyo drift
1: Yep. Instead so we're going back to some other books that are from the beginning of this again. Yeah, so all the timelines are not lined up. You yeah. what you did was you lied. That's fair enough. <laughs> uh so this is like two books. There's the stuff with Jake and the even odds, and then there's the stuff with Kyopaka. I really like one of these, and I think the other one is the most boring thing on Earth.
2: <laughs> I, I like the fake Star Trek Firefly. It's pretty good.
1: I hate it. Jake beams into Star Wars, and this uh, <laughs> fucking Captain Dez motherfucker Captain Des! <laughs> is here like, Oh, I need Jake to understand that fathers are bad, so I'm going to be a good father to him, so he'll forget his fake dad who lives in the wormhole now. Oh, sorry. The Anomaly because they're from the Gamma Quadrants. They have new goofy these dirty words. dirty Yeah, not the Alfies. <laughs> um... And that whole thing is just him constantly, like, trying to suck up to Jake. He's like, yeah, maybe when all this is done, we will start doing some charity runs for people who need it, help, our help and can't pay for it. That's totally fine. And Jake, because he's an idiot, is like, yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Jake is an adult at this point. He's not, like, a child anymore. And yet this whole thing plays Jake like he is just absolutely clueless about the entire galaxy. He's covered wars,
2: you know. <laughs> Fuck you <laughs> But it's true. It is true. That's the worst part. He has covered Wars, you know. They even talk about how he has covered Wars, you know, at the end of the book. And then like a bunch of this book is devoted to like
1: the idea that oh, like Des recognizes that Jake doesn't understand how the real world real world works because he lives in the Federation, and the Federation don't have money, so they don't understand why people would need money and like the anti-capitalism of the Federation is incompatible with the rest of the galaxy. He lived, he is best friends with a Ferengi who joined Starfleet. He understands economy stuff. He's not an idiot. This book's depiction of Jake as just like the most clueless, I want to believe in the best of everybody, child, -like, like luck rolling his way through the galaxy is very frustrating to me uh yeah it is it has kind of cemented my view of jake which is kind of how i felt at the end of ds9 where they forget that he exists until the very
2: end of that show as just useless but then the like final shot implies a show about jake they literally did not make yeah (laughs) like it's one of the like most moving things that's ever happened and the show doesn't earn it at all yeah no absolutely not (laughs) oh um yeah but I, I don't know like you're not nothing you say is wrong i think though like especially with him talking about money is like just the most forced drama nonsense Yeah. um because like you say he knows he even has drama with other ferengi being like i'm like way tight with the ferengi and they're gonna suck up to me and be way mad about that um i like lets them know right at the end before he leaves that my best friend is the son of the nagus yep his best friend is the son of the nagus this guy understands what yeah. money is yeah i know um, but for me, I guess it was like, I like, I think the crew is fun. Um, uh, I think they're okay.
1: Uh, I really is like, like the, 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 Piff, the dog person from the planet Aru in the Bauf system, is like maybe the most on the nose furry <laughs> self insert bullshit I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. He can run real fast.
1: Stess is fine. I'd like it more if I hadn't read SCE books where there's a bunch of like non human aliens that they don't kill for no good reason yep like this is the most like oh we created a character for you to care about and think is very cool just to murder them to make you feel something i'm like nah i'm not here for this like i already don't like firefly i really don't want star trek to be firefly
2: uh so what it was for me is that uh putting firefly in star trek just was a nice like um Relief of this kind of story, I guess, because you start there and you imagine, oh, everyone's going to like secretly betray each other and have dark pasts. And literally, the big, like, main guy's dark past is I want to be nice to a kid. Like, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I liked that the like actual story was about these two people who clearly cannot actually work together, desperately trying to do so. Um, yeah, uh, but, but like all of all of the tension is predicated on the idea that
1: Jake Sisko might decide that he doesn't actually care about Ben, and that's the most unfathomable thing you could ever say about DS Nine. Well, that's true.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I know there was a like, tension there. Like, I know, I know that he's not going to stay. Yeah. Uh, but I liked that the like the book isn't really from jake's perspective like it gives des way more yes um, Uh, yeah if it was if it was from jake's perspective and him like observing all these weird people and like always comparing them to the federation it would be terrible well Uh, it is it is sometimes when they cut to jake's (laughs) journal and for a
1: supposedly great writer in training his journal (laughs) is like the most overwrought bullshit live journal post i've ever seen
2: as he's like, do I think this or do I think this? But maybe I think this. Yep. But who can tell? Because I'm also thinking this.
1: When you tell a writer of a Star Trek book, please make this sound like a real writer wrote it, you get the worst <laughs> prose possible. Who could have foreseen such a thing?
2: Which is sucks because, like, S.D. Perry is definitely one of the better, like, writers of these books we have seen so far. Yeah. Like, the actual I, books are very well I think written. I would
1: put her, like, slightly above the middle, but sure.
2: I said one of the better. I didn't say, like, as good as Twilight or anything. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Like, we're not having Star Trek Big Boss dive into, like, a other dimension and see the truth about his, like, relationship with his daughter that's been tragically lost for 50 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, like, as a book that is, like, pulpy and it moves well. It doesn't go on forever. It Like, club points happen. I don't know. Uh, I really like the heist. I think the heist is really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was entertainingly written. Um, That's where I really like Stess, because, uh, having like the person on the phone as a heist like stock character be five people who can do recon at once and communicate with themselves uh was a cool concept i like that it made that like entertaining in a way that wasn't just we're doing the thing again and mm. then as soon as they had no use for her she was dead <laughs>
1: yes <laughs>
2: uh, despite being the coolest alien in the book
1: so then, so then we, get, we get to the part where Kyle Paca shows up, and she has basically been doing that thing where when James T. Kirk landed on the Borg planet and like became one of them for f- two years, except she did much better than him, because she didn't fuck anybody and actually like made peace happen on the planet.
2: Remember when James T. Kirk went to the Borg planet for two years and fucked all the Borg? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> it was
1: bad. <laughs> it was a bad time. <laughs>
2: But Kaiopaka <laughs> taught them all like agriculture
1: and brought peace to a planet that had known only war for centuries. She did it in like six years. She's like, I'm fit. I'm cool. I'm going around the galaxy and going to be a healer now that I can get off this planet. Um, The part where they literally said in Star Trek they couldn't actually disable the nanomachines. Look, let's just hand wave that. It's fine. Don't care. Uh, Battle lines is a bad episode. No one remembers it anyway.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I like that because the Ascendants are powerful, right? Like they yes. can do this. Uh, and the way like the way it ends up factoring if the plot isn't all oh, how did we do that it's oh the person who deus ex marketed me into this is like also my sworn enemy from like on religious grounds but had no idea yep um so i like they did interesting stuff with that at least
1: yep uh so uh, like the apaca stuff i thought was incredible i think she's a really interesting character i like this like salt of the earth like version of what Bejor's kai should have been and wasn't for the last five six years uh I assume she goes back and doesn't become Kai is what I actually think is going to happen.
2: Uh, yeah, if she just goes back to being Kai, that'll be kind of boring.
1: Yep. Um, um, I bet instead she gets involved in this ascendant war with the Evoch that is clearly going to happen.
2: Because what I like about her is that like, Kai Parker from the show is a very boring character. Yes. Um, and the way that they make her interesting of... She's had to not be on Bajor for seven years, yes, and now she understands like anything else in the universe because Bejew is a very sheltered uh, place, and is now like going to be this returning spiritual leader who is held up as by the society of Bajor as this ideal of a better, more united religious age. And the third thing she's going to say is, "We're in a religious war now with like three different races." <laughs> yeah, and they all
1: they all believe in the same thing we do, but like in ways you wouldn't even begin to accept. Uh, in I, I bet her and Kira are going to along amazingly because they're basically in the same wait. place
2: oh, i can't wait god i i know that that's the stuff that ds9 is about going forward i know that i i recognize the word ascendant well, yes all i know, is yeah, I, just no, know I know ascendant that there's ascendant, ascendant a thing, stuff yep is just go through this and i'm very excited yep
1: i, I assume that's all post unity but we'll get there
2: i mean yes yep. <laughs> there's too much stuff on actual ds9 to deal with yes they're not in the federation yet
1: no they are not they are not <laughs> um what so wex shows up and there's nothing about her this is clearly some sort of like trap right she's either an ascendant
2: or she's like a changeling or something right um i i don't know about that but like possibly i didn't get any sinister read of her it literally just felt more perfunctory than that like we need a character in this next book. Can you bring her in? Well, the,
1: the way she showed up in the last book was like, oh, it's Jake's cool friend Wex. We'll find out about her in Rising Sun. And no, there's nothing to her. The only thing we know is that she's like from a race that are like secretive and go on pilgrimages. And when Kai uh, Opaka tried to read her pox, she was like very scared of it. As if Kai might know something, if like see something in her mind that she didn't want her to see.
2: Okay. I mean, yeah, see, that did happen.
1: Yeah, and we get no interiority at all past that. So I'm like, there's something real shady about this person.
2: I just read the lack of interiority as someone an editor yeah. told me to bring this character along. Yeah, maybe I you're right.
1: It, maybe, you're right? But I, it, I feel like there should have been at least one chapter about Wex's deal because we get literally every one of the crew of the even odd even though I'm sure we never see them again.
2: All right, SD Perry S.T. Perry is also writing Unity. So I guess I yes, that has to be the what that is then. Mm. Uh, there's something going on with her because she says nothing, thinks nothing, and does nothing. Yep. <laughs> for half the, well, for the last 30% of the book. Yeah. Most of the book is nothing, it's just him on the ship. Yep.
1: Which I guess would have been fine. It, it, it makes me think of what would have happened if we had made this a Star Wars book podcast. instead have a Star Trek book podcast. I'm really glad we didn't choose that life because I'd just be mad all the time.
2: You make it sound like we were like Mass Effect right trigger left. No.
1: <laughs> I mean, in my soul, basically, like that's what it looks like when you tell me that. Yes, but no, that's true. We never actually considered doing Star Wars books. <laughs> no.
2: Star Wars book podcast we have never even entertained the idea of reading a Star Wars book outside of me wanting to at some point in my life finish the Thrawn trilogy but all those books take me a year to read because they're long and boring yeah well (laughs) fair enough um, we haven't even mentioned the fact that the ship has a secret dimension. Oh God! Right, I forgot that there's like <laughs> a bottom floor
1: to the ship that is like the portals Wah. throughout the yeah throughout the universe, and also that all those portals break during the gateways thing that you read that I didn't <laughs> bother reading. <laughs> yes.
2: Yep. I. Th- I assume that was really gonna go somewhere because I was like, oh man, this ship has like a secret, hidden like heart that is like a weird technology that no one knows. Also, the ship has been made by a species that no one knows. This ship is like made to be someone's cool OC ship, and they don't there's not the book's not about that. Yeah, so. it feels
1: like a weird backdoor pilot to the even odd series that I don't think <laughs> exists.
2: I don't think so too, as well. Yeah. I mean, if that's Dez's weird species, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um,
1: it's weird though, right?
2: Um, it is weird. Yeah. Uh, cause I I thought that the the WA dimension was cool, and then it, like at the end it starts like spilling out into the ship as they um like re- basically do that technology, but for the entire universe mm-hmm. for uh to bring the the what's the what they call it back, um, the 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 evoc the Evoque? yes yes the yeah. evoc, uh, and so like. The end of the book, um... The hunters show up, and then the entire, like, weird dimension starts spinning out into nothing. And you're like, wait, is something, like, crazy huge about to happen? And then it just stops. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it definitely feels like a backdoor pilot for a non-existent, even odd show. uh, Which I guess is just Firefly. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go.
1: I guess we'll find out someday.
2: I had a a better time with, like, uh main section of the book than you like i like i i did feel sad when stacy died because all the stuff with the cardassian happened then and it was good it doesn't go anywhere he doesn't doesn't matter but the idea of a cardassian like letting go of his guilt for that for getting owned one time was good like that was a well done chapter i thought
1: i um i definitely felt like this book was terrible until kaya showed up so i had a bad time <laughs>
2: understandable i i'm glad i enjoyed the rest of it more than you
1: yeah because my sensibilities do not align with this kind of bullshit at all i just it's not like the characters feel like they are not the characters i recognize having just stopped watching DS 9 um jake is already kind of a character i don't like that much so watching him be written badly but in an even more boring way than real jake did not help
2: mm-hmm.
1: um I don't know. I just don't like I don't like Star Wars. This is the secret. When you make fake Star Wars or fake Firefly, I'm really mad about it.
2: Yes, that's true. But when we, we have when Firefly? we have
1: three factions that all believe in the same gods that we can actually go and see and visit and ask them questions to, I'm really interested.
2: Well, the good news is that there's never another even odds book, but there's about fifty books about the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> because this is fucking Star Trek. Yep. Yep. uh so yes you're gonna get your wish you, yeah. you will be born out <laughs> thank god uh this is the seventh best star trek novel according to tv zone 207
1: yeah i saw it. Uh, tv zone 207 does not like star trek books this is the only thing i could guess
2: the 34th rule is also in that list so sure um, i really want to read, read that, that one we really want to read that as high on our list
1: so I think that's I all have, I've got. I don't know. I think that's
2: all i got. We've gone for an hour. Yeah. I don't expect this to run for a full hour. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so next month, we will be reading, of course, The Left Hand of Destiny, book one uh, yes. by J.G. Hertzler and Jeffrey Lang. Yes. We will once again go back to the events of Avatar and then spiral out and see what Worf and Martok are up to, I guess. I'm very excited about that.
2: I don't need. No, I, I think that's literally days after. Um, oh, the end of the end of just I think it's just because it's just it's just Klingon stuff. Oh, okay. Um I said yes, it is not even it is pre-avatar because every single like chronological list says read it before avatar. Okay. Uh so it's just setting up whatever the state of the Klingons is. Uh cool, I assume. Well, yeah. Worf. I remember yeah. Worf?
1: I do remember Worf. I love Worf. Do you miss Worf? Uh I do miss Worf. He's been a big absence in these books.
2: The only time we've had Worf was when he was running, trying to kill, uh, Riker with Data's head.
1: Yep. Yeah. Literally, the only person who could tell, uh, Ezri that her relationship with Bashir is doomed and she should stop has not been in these books.
2: <laughs> right! Good! Find someone! Need- that's still going! Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is still going! Yep. Yeah. Oh god, how?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Ugh.
2: <sighs> Right, he got beat up by Kirk that one time.
1: <laughs> yes, that's non-canon, <laughs> but yes.
2: <laughs> this is the entire war content we have had. Yep. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, you can find, of course, at star-trek. startrekpodcast.space, emails to at normalmapping.com. We don't have any questions, but send them to us. I don't know, Star Trek. Uh, Jackson, what else can people do
2: with our network? Uh, with our network people can go to abnormalmapping.com and find shows of all varieties including The Amory Score, where we are about to finish up Good Apollo and Burning Star 4 Volume 1 from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness as we continue our journey through the uh, awful world of Coheed Comics so the, um, the
1: reason I know that it's going to be very easy for them to release that five part story is because I don't think anything's happened in this album at all <laughs> no this has the least plot of any of them it's remarkable how much time has been spent on literally nothing happening. Well,
2: the the album only has the one plot point.
1: <laughs> it's a bad time. It's worth. It's a good podcast. People should it's listen. a good book. Po- have you listened to the last episode? No, no, I have not yet.
2: You haven't heard me say that um, Jesse is if Jared became in charge of the Titans. <laughs> Absolutely good. <laughs> i realized this in a moment of truth this is why you should listen to this podcast yeah uh you can find me at headphones off on twitter you can support us on patreon.com slash no mapping
1: yeah uh for one dollar a month you will get the great gundam project where you can find out yes. who jared is and why we love him so much as we Dude. look at mobile suit gundam the furthest thing from star trek you could ever get but we managed to bring up star trek all the goddamn time <laughs>
2: literally it's like not even the same show and it's completely different it is thematically opposed to every single end and all i say is what if this was more like star trek it's really yeah. bad uh if you want to support us at five
1: dollars you get writing from me and jackson every week and at ten dollars you get a different podcast called voip life in which we kind of just cut loose and goof around it's a good time we it's have not Tra- yet talked about star, star trek there Club. yet <laughs>
0: it's
2: our star wars book club <laughs>
1: yeah it basically might as well be we bring up stars every time but not in any meaningful way just to kind of poop on it
2: <laughs> uh that's what star wars that's where it belongs it's actually it belongs in 50 twitter threads dunking on the bad nerds
1: uh you can find me on twitter at em underscore being check out our discord we have a whole star trek channel there that i'd love to talk more star trek with people Someone asked about where something was located the other day. You brought and out I, your maps. I brought out like five different competing maps of what Star Trek land looks like because none of them agree with each other. They all kind of have the general idea, but who knows where the Ferengi Alliance is?
2: Nobody does. <laughs> Yeah, No, you you brought out the maps and you were very excited. They were not prepared for how much you had thought about this exact question. (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: So you can do that. Uh, We'll be back next month, of course, with some Klingon shit. I'm very excited. And until then, I will see you out there.
0: I don't care, I'm still free, you can't take the sky from me, take me out to the black, tell them I ain't coming back, burn the land and boil the sea, you can't take the sky from me. the sky from me